Our passage today comes from Romans chapter 5. And, and while you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, I have uh, three little tidbits of information for you, three little facts that you may or may not know. Uh, the first is that since its peak in the early 1990s, the violent crime rate has been declining for the last three decades. And that even though it has had a slight uptick in the last couple of years, it's still about half of what it was in the early 1990s. The second little tidbit is that pretty much the same thing is true for abortion rates since the 1970s. It peaked right after Roe came into being, but it declined every decade since then until just very recently it picked up just a bit but still, the rate of abortions is about half of what it was in the 1970s. The third little tidbit I have for you is that Christianity around the globe is growing rapidly. It is the second fastest, just barely behind Islam and growing, but it is growing massively, amazing, huge revivals all throughout the global south and in Asia Christianity is thriving around the globe like it has never thrived before. Now, I want you guys to think about how you felt hearing those three little tidbits. Uh, because I have a guess about how you felt. And, and this guess doesn't come because of what I know about you guys. It's, it's not about you but it's about our culture and the American church at large. And so if you guys fit our culture and the American church at large, I have a pretty good guess that when you heard those three things, you did not believe me. <laughs> I am pretty sure that you did not believe a single word I said. But what I said was true. You can go look it up. And I would guess it's even more than that. If I had to guess, I would bet that it felt almost like you heard bad news. Even though those statistics are good, encouraging, you might have felt like it was bad, like I was gearing up to attack you. And why do I say that? Well, that's just the water we are swimming in. You know the famous uh, news saying, if it, leads, if, if it bleeds, it leads? That's kind of the saying for our culture now. You sit down and talk with people, and the first things out of their mouth are all the bad things happening either in their lives or around the world or in America. And, and it just is, that's the way. You go on social media, and that's all the first things that you hear. You turn on the news, and, and it's all this doom and gloom, and everything is going bad. And there's this, this sense that out there that the most important thing for you to do is fear and hate others. That if you fear the right people and hate the right people, you're on the right side. And I think what is lost, what we have 
Thus, what I want us to recover and what we're really going to focus on is the antithesis to this. And what we have lost is hope. And it's, it's true in the church as large. Did you know in the New Testament, hope was one of the three most important things. It was one of the three most important virtues. You know this from Paul. He says at the end, three things will remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And much of the New Testament is built about telling you how to live in faith, hope, and love. But we hear a lot of messages on how to live in faith. We hear a lot of messages on how to live in love. But there is nobody talking about how do we live in hope. So what is hope? Now, I think one of the reasons we've lost this sense of hope is, of course, that we, our ethics have changed from virtue to deontological, but that's not really important. I think another reason is hope has, has been washed down, has been simplified to something that you, you want something but really, deep down, you know it's not going to happen. For example, an example of that kind of hope is me saying, I want, I hope that I'll have a girlfriend in 2024. I want it, but deep down, everyone knows it's just not going to happen for me. Uh, that's that's uh, where hope is now. But really, hope is so much bigger than that. It is a sure confidence about the good news that we have in our future. It's a sure confidence of that good news that we have in our future. And when we talk about the virtue of hope, it's that allowing that sure confidence of the good news of the future to shape our perspective and our priorities. It's saying the good things that we believe will happen will be what guide our decisions. It will guide how we view the world. And that's what we have lost. We have lost that ability for the good news to shape our perspective on the world and to shape our priorities when we make decisions in life. And that's what we need to regain, that perspective and those priorities. And it's really important for Christians because the most important thing that Christians have is the good news. We use the old English gospel still, but that literally means good news. So as Christians, we have a special thing to grasp on, to hope in. We have very special good news that should shape our perspective and our priorities in life. And that's what our passage today is all about. It is about how hope can completely change our perspective and our priorities and completely change our lives. So let's look at it together in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Now, the first verse there says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And that is the first thing that gives us reason to hope. So I want you guys to choose hope because we have peace with God. And you notice that the very first word is therefore. And when you're reading the Bible, therefore is an important word. Because whenever you see therefore, you're going to have to look back to find out what the therefore is there for. So when you do that, you get to Romans, the whole argument of Romans so far. And that therefore is because Paul is not ashamed of the good news, because it is the power of God to salvation. And then he immediately tells us the bad news first. He says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all wickedness and unrighteousness. That because God had shown his glory in the heavens, and, and everyone could see his great power and work, and yet they see that and they look to themselves and they say, we did it. It's something we created. It's something, the glory of God is all about us. And they put themselves above God's glory. And when that happened, everything became broken. Our relationship with God became broken. Our relationship with others got, became broken. Our relationship with the world became broken. And everything came under sin. And all sin began to rise up. And it led to God who is good and just and who cares deeply about the world to stand against us because we are standing against the world he created. He stands against us as judge. And his wrath gets poured out on us because we are against him and against the world that he has created. And then in chapter 2, Paul looks to the Jews that he's writing to and said, hey, you may be worshiping the right God, but guess what? That God is a law giver, and you are doing a horrible job following the law. You are standing in the exact same position. You are against God, and God is against you. And then in chapter 3, he says, well, that's just the way everybody is. Everyone is against God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Everyone is turned away and are running away from God. Everyone's in the same boat. But he ends chapter 3 with this, this beautiful idea that God found a way to be both good and just and uphold the moral order he created and to not be against us when he should be against us. He found a way to bring us into his fold, to make us one with him. And he did that by sending his son to take the punishment that we deserve, to receive the wrath and the anger that we deserve. God turned against his own son so that he doesn't have to turn against us. And that's the amazing good news. And then chapter 4 says, look, that is great. But some of you are going to say, can't I just do enough homework 
can I do just enough chores to earn that love? Some of you are going to say, if I, I, I can do enough to earn that love. And Paul says, there's no way you can earn it. It only comes by believing in Jesus. It only comes through faith. Faith is the only way for God to look at you and not stand against you in judgment, but to say, I love you. We are at peace. And so at by the time he gets to chapter 5, he says, look at this good news. We have been justified. We have been made right by faith in Jesus Christ. And we can have peace with God forever. But if you look, it's even bigger than that. It's not just that God says, okay, we're cool. We're good. We don't have a beef. He he, Jesus brings us even further. Look at what verse 2 says through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. So because of Jesus, not only are we good with God, but we are standing in his grace. What does it mean to stand in his grace? That is it's, it's kind of complicated. So uh, the only analogy I can think of, and it's not one for one, so, but... It is like grandparent glasses. How many of you are grandparents? How many of you believe your grandparent, your grandkids are the smartest, the sweetest, the most good-looking kids in the entire world? Yeah, that is grandparent glasses right there. I just went home and I got to spend time with both my grandparents and man, do they have grandparent glasses. My granddad just, just wanted to take me to everywhere he goes just to show me off. He was like, come with me. I'm going to meet all my friends. And he's like, I'm going to tell them, you know, you're a pastor. Uh, I went with him to his church, and everyone in the church knew me. And I was thinking, man, if you told people about Jesus like you told them about me, man, the whole world would be saved. Like, that is grandparent glasses. And my grandma, the biggest, tightest hug I received was from my grandma. And, and she kept just, you know, saying all these sweet things about how she loves me and cares for me. And she's so proud of me. And, and it's just those grandparent glasses. There's something about a grandparent that looks on the, their grandkids and goes, man, I just need to spoil them. I just need to give them all the chocolate and send them home. Uh, you know, I, I just need to spoil them like crazy. And that's what it's like to be standing in grace. Not only is God not angry about with you anymore, but he has grandparent glasses on. And he looks at you and says, wow, he is so amazing. Wow, she is so great. I love her so much. He says, wow, I just love to spoil them. I just love to give them my best. It is so amazing. So because of Jesus, we went from being his enemy to receiving his wrath to being at peace with him and being in his grace where he looks at us with grandparent glasses. 
Isn't that incredible? So how does that shape our hope? How does that shape the perspective and the priorities of life? And let me tell you how hard it is to live worried about other, how other people would think about you. Man, it is hard. It is hard making sure you keep looking good. It is hard to make sure your house is clean. It is hard to make sure you have done everything on the to-do list to impress other people. It is hard. And there are some people that no matter what you do, they won't like you. They won't be impressed with you, no matter how hard you try. But here's the good news. The judge of the entire universe looks at you and is in awe and love with you. Who cares what anyone else thinks when the king of heaven and earth sees you through grandparent glasses? Who cares? You don't have to worry about their perspective. And when you get that, your priority can become not how do I please people, but how do I live in the love of God forever? How do I enjoy his presence? How do I enjoy a relationship with him? And when that becomes your top priority, your life completely changes. If you don't have to worry, you don't have to feel the weight of impressing other people, you have God. And so living in that virtue of hope is living in that realization that you have God who loves you and no other opinion matters. And living in that reality. So choose hope because you have peace with God. And then verse 2 continues to tell us, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So choose hope because of the glory of God. Now what is our hope in the glory of God? We remember when we went back to chapter 1 of Romans, it says that, that God's glory has been revealed in the heavens and the earth, and people rejected it, and they looked at themselves. Well, our hope is that one day God is going to return. And his glory is going to be so great and so big at that time that it will be impossible to reject. Revelation describes his glory like this, that there won't be a need for the sun because his glory will light us 24 hours a day. Now that might be metaphorical, but the main point of that is that God's glory will be so overwhelming that no one can reject it. And so the problems that came when we all rejected his glory, the problems that came when we all looked to ourselves, the problems of sin and death, it will be wiped away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, not stained at all by sin or pain or suffering or death, but it will be forever beautiful and wonderful and perfect and glorious. Romans 8 says that even creation itself is longing and groaning for the redemption of the sons of God, for us to come into our glory, to receive the new bodies that God creates with us, to live with him in glory forever and ever, to live in his new kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. 
And that is such a great, incredible hope. And what does hope in the glory of God change in us? Well, it changes our perspective on suffering. Look at what the next few verses say. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because that we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. You see, what hope does is it says to our sufferings, this isn't something to control you, to hold you. It is just something to persevere through. This won't destroy you. This will change you. Your sufferings are not what is destroying your life. It is what changes you into the glory of God. That's what hope does. Let's look at that. It starts with hope helps us persevere. It helps us say this suffering is just present. The glory that we'll have, the greatness that we'll have for eternity will make this suffering seem so small and seem so not like nothing. I can grasp on. I can persevere. I can make it through. And if you have that attitude during the midst of your suffering, then guess what happens? you go through that suffering with a little bit more joy than you would have. You go through that suffering with a little bit more peace than you would have. Those sufferings don't keep you from loving others as much as it should. And when that happens, your character grows. Because if you can show joy and peace and love during suffering, then guess what? You can show those in any moment in your life. And when those things grow, then your hope also grows. Which then comes the next time you go through suffering and your ability to persevere is a little bit stronger and a little bit better. And it's so much more. And it grows and grows and grows. It's like this. You are sitting here suffering through my sermon right now. Dairy Queen or Cracker Barrel or Whistle Post is calling your name right now. And you're thinking, I'm sure he's only got to have a few minutes left if I can just hold on and persevere. Daryl Huckabee will be here next week and we can make it. You're thinking that and you, you're growing your ability to persevere. And then you're at work and you're in a meeting and you go, if I could sit through a sermon by Shane, I can sit through this meeting. And you become a better worker, and it helps you be better at your job. And then the next time you come to hear me, you're like, I made it through last time, I could make it through again. And your ability to persevere grows and grows and grows. That's the way that God works through suffering. And when you just have the hope that there is a glory to come, you can look at your suffering and say, I just need to persevere. And then that will build character, which will build hope. And here is this incredible thing about hope. First, we choose hope because it gives us peace with God. Second, we choose hope because of the glory of God. 
Third, we choose hope because it changes our perspective on suffering. And last and most amazingly, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. The reason why hope is so amazing is because God is pouring out his love through you. So many of you know I just got back on Friday from Christmas vacation with my family. And you might ask me, hey, how was your Christmas vacation? And I'll say, it was wonderful. You might go, oh, great. Did you go to In-N-Out? Because In-N-Out is the best. I don't, I don't care what you think about Whataburger or anything else. In-N-Out's the best hamburgers. So if you ever go to California, go to In-N-Out. But anyway, you ask me, hey, did you get to go to In-N-Out? And I would say, no, we didn't really go out to eat at all. Okay. Did you go to the beach? No, no, we didn't make it to the beach this trip. I did go to SeaWorld. That was pretty awesome. But most of the time, I just hung around with my family. And you may ask me, OK, well, what did you get for Christmas? And I'll say, oh, you know, a hat, a couple shirts, a mug, nothing too great. OK, so you didn't get in and out. You didn't go to the beach. You didn't get that great of Christmas presents. What in the world did you do that made it so good? And my answer is, I was with my family. And I experienced the love that only family can bring. And it's the same way with God. That whatever you look through at your life, you can look at the highs and lows, and none of that will compare to the greatness of the love of God spread in your heart. It just doesn't compare at all. There are two psalms that I think of that, that help illustrate this, because it, it's really, really hard to explain how amazing and transformative and incredible God's love is. Is. And so these two psalms kind of come to mind. The first is, is Psalm 23. And you all know that it's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and the part that really gets me, that's really amazing to me, is, is in the middle. He's talking about the Lord in the third person. But then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod in your staff, they comfort me. Do you catch what happened? There was just this, this change when he walked through this hard time from, from God being just a him, a he, to being a you. And you were there to comfort me. When you go through suffering, that, that change is just miraculous. Where you go, I don't know what happened, but somehow God is not a him anymore. He's a you. And I'm in that relationship with him. And you can end it when you go through that. You can end your life like, like 
David ends the psalm saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me in all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy are always with me because Jesus is there loving me because God's love is shed in my heart. The other example I think of comes from Psalm 73. And in it, the psalmist looks around and he sees all these wicked people having the time of their lives. Just filled with wealth and, and getting anything they want. They don't care about anyone at all, and yet they have the best life. And that makes him so angry. He's angry at God. He says, if I, if I told people how I really feel about God in this moment, they would just kick me right out. Like, I can't even speak about how bad I feel. And he was talking about that, and then he says, but then I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. And I saw things completely different. He saw that the end of the wicked would not be good for them. He saw that God would still be just. But more importantly, he had an encounter with God that left him with a sense of his love. He would go on to say, because of that encounter, who have I in heaven but you? There's no one on earth I desire more than you. You are my portion and my life forever and ever. And that is what can happen to you when the love of God is poured into your heart. And when that happens, you can look on your life, you can look on everything through that lens of hope, knowing I have peace with God. I am standing under his grace. My my situations, my sufferings won't crush me. They will change me. I have the love of God. So we are coming up in 2024. It's crazy, isn't it? But at the end of 2024, if I came to you and I said, hey, how was your year? And you go, well... My candidate for president didn't win. Uh, I lost my job. I had friends and family die. Oh, man, that must have been tough. I hope that you'll say, no, it was incredible. I found a peace with God that I had never felt before. I saw a glimpse of the glorious future that I will have, and oh, wow, it's amazing. Even in the sufferings, I realized that all these bad things weren't crushing me. They were changing me. But most amazing of it all is I experienced the love of God in a way that I never experienced before. And I would say, yes, that is an incredible. May we all have that kind of incredible year in 2024. Let's pray.